volume will kill any of our athletes with anything. And if we sneak in an extra couple reps here every day, all of a sudden the volume for the week has grown a ton over what we originally designed. You know, and I think the better place to plan and be intentional is to say like, this is my hard cap volume wise, but you can always cut volume based on what you're seeing. Welcome to the Business of Speed podcast with Nick Bratton and Steve Brownstein. From their 25 years of experience in business and training, Nick and Steve will bring you insight, research, and industry thought leaders on all matters of business, leadership, and training. This show will help all professionals improve the growth of their business, coaching knowledge, and leadership ability. As coaches and leaders, you are asked to wear many hats. Let them help you manage this balancing act with the Business of Speed podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Speed podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Braddon, here with Steve Breitenstein. Uh, today, we are going to bring you uh, three new topics. On the training side, we're going to talk about speed endurance, how we train speed endurance, why it's important, how we use it for multiple athletes, not just our track athletes, but also our agility-based athletes. Then on the leadership side, we're going to talk about leading from a distance. So we're at the point in the year where many of our athletes are uh, home. We don't have them in school right now due to summer. Uh, we might have athletes that are traveling for competition or vacations. You know, how do we lead them? How do we continue to support them from a distance? And then finally, on the business side, we are going to continue building on the series that we've been working on. So at this point, you now have your physical location. So how do we outfit the facility? So we're going to talk about equipment. We're going to talk about purchasing. We're going to talk about our training ideals and, and how we build around that. So uh, today should be a, a great show. Really looking forward to these three topics. Um, Steve, how are things going for you guys? It's going well up here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, Right now, we're recording the end of April, um, but we're going to talk about a little bit towards what's going to happen during the summertime, especially in the private side. We're always kind of planning for what is happening 90 days from now, and that's a concept that I've talked with our staff about a bunch. So right now, April, football season is wrapping up. Uh, all the other spring sports are going on, but we can't sit and just wait for those other sports to be done until we decide what's going on for the summertime. So a lot of our time in this week, week and a half has been, what's our schedule look like in June? What is our, our focus on training wise, the X's and O's, the marketing piece, uh, everything that ties into that. So it's always kind of being ahead of what's about to happen. We never want to get caught getting too close to that, that date. Uh, how are things going for you guys? I know you were talking about off, off air, just, big track meets for you guys here as some of your athletes are advancing. Uh, but what else you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Had a great district track meet last night. Um, so really excited about that. You know, I, I kind of smirk as you talk about, you know, preparing 90 days out. That's literally the conversations we have been having all week long here in the facility. Uh, you know, the spring is a bit of a lull for us. We slow down just a little bit. Um, but, you know, we've been talking all uh, week long about, you know, our, my, my time frame is always six months. You know, what are, what are we preparing for six months from now? 
Um, so again, we're, we're recording here in April, we are preparing for next October. So we're talking about, you know, our baseball athletes and their fall ball. We're talking about, um, you know, our basketball athletes that are getting ready to go in season. So yeah, always that, that preparation, um, things are, are going really well here. We have a new coach that just started this week. So, uh, really enjoying that onboarding process, getting him up and rolling. Uh, we're wrapping up our internship process. And so, uh, we've had a phenomenal group of interns this year and, uh, really just loved our time with them. And, and now we're actually preparing for the summer interns that are getting ready to come in. And so, uh, you know, in, in the private sector, there's just, there's always something going on. And I, and I guess I shouldn't say private sector, even in the high school setting, I had interns and we're always, you know, uh, programming six, eight, 10 months out, but, you know, just different animals when you're in both industries. Yeah, no doubt. I know we took advantage of this, uh, this brief lull that we've been having a fun kind of continuing education with some of our colleagues uh, Nick will be speaking with our staff next week, but we've had some coaches like Derek Hansen, Stu McMillan has been through, Derek Everly has been through, uh, Jeremy Boone will be coming through as far as just like some Zooms. So our interns here at the end of their internship have just been like dumped on by who we consider like these echelon of coaches. And it's been really neat to be able to take advantage of that time down where we're not just coaching nonstop to invest in ourselves and the staff. Uh, which has been really cool, really good success this last couple of weeks. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, all right. So without further ado, let's get into our, uh, our first topic here. So we're going to talk about the idea of speed endurance, training speed endurance. Um, and so before we get into it, um, you know, Steve, how, how would you describe this for the audience? You know, if we're, this is something that I talk to our athletes about a lot uh, and, and try and help them understand. Uh, but for you, when you're talking to your athletes or your parents, you know, what, how do you explain the concept of speed endurance to them? Yeah. You know, uh, I joked to Nick that I'm the, the worst guy to talk about this to a degree because I devalue it so much. Um, but like the, the value piece is, we work on your acceleration a ton. We work on your top end speed capabilities a ton, but you have to have some sort of ability to apply speed to the demand of your sport. What's the requirement that's a little bit more specific? It might be a distance. Uh, let's say it's a track athlete. It might just be more related to an amount of time that you need to be performing this high level sprint work at. It may be more that it is some sort of inner or, or, or inter interval based uh, measurement where maybe I need to be able to perform five seconds of really hard effort. And I need to be able to recover within 30 seconds, you know, more of your football speed endurance piece. And that's how I kind of try to frame it for my athletes. And why I said I devalue it a lot is so many of our athletes are constantly caught just doing that with their sports where they are practicing a ton. Even my basketball guys, like right now, we are two weeks into the off season and they are playing basketball like crazy. And I'm like, fellas, like, do you really feel like I need to condition you? Will that help you perform basketball in any way? And they're like, well, no, I, I run a lot. I'm like, have you felt out of shape at any point in the last two weeks? I'm like, no. I'm like, well, that's where, like, we just say, like, on this chart of, like, necessary athletic skills, we just deprioritize that one because we have such a need somewhere else. Definitely in our world of soccer, lacrosse, track, we're able to open up with these longer efforts. The speed endurance piece becomes more and more important until you really get to your middle distance athletes. And I would say even like your 200, 400, 800s, you definitely are 
getting more into like, I need to have a specific capability to maintain this speed. How about for you, Nick? Now you come in the past, you're a track athlete. You, you have gone high level track clubs in Indianapolis. You're very familiar in that world. So I know speed endurance is something, you know, you have to do. How do you kind of talk about it? So for me to, to make it as simple as possible, it it's <clears throat> the explanation to my athletes is it's your ability to run at your maximum velocity for a given distance. Now we know that, that, you know, even the top sprinters in the world can only hold their max velocity for 60 to 80 meters. You know, we're not going to go any further outside of that, but it's also the ability to do that multiple times in a row. So one of the things, one of the conversations that I have a lot this time of the year, as we're preparing for uh, track district, sectionals, regionals, state meet, um, you know, we're, we're running a lot of races in two weeks. And so, you know, it, it comes back to this idea of we, we have to be able to replicate these performances over and over and over again. Um, so, you know, we need to be able to hit that top speed uh, multiple times, especially if we're going through trials and finals every time we go to a meet. Um, and so it's just helping them understand, like, you don't need to, we, we need to be able to do it more than just one time, you know, being able to run that 10 second, 100, one time is great, but can we run it multiple times either in a day or in a week or in a period of, of two or three weeks. And so helping them understand that for my agility based athletes is helping them understand like, you know, listen, we need to be able to run as fast as we did in the first quarter in the fourth quarter. You know, we, we cannot be slowing down as the game goes on. And that's one of the things that, when I was in the high school setting, we, we really valued, you know, I, I was in a high school here in, in New Orleans that wasn't really known for its size, its strength, but we had, and, and I've talked about this in multiple presentations around the country, we had a number of athletes that were very fast, very explosive. Um, and we relied on that and we relied on our ability to do that the entire game. And so, you know, I would say 85, 90% of our games, we would hold even with a team through the first three quarters. And it was always the fourth quarter that we would end up pulling away from people because we were able to continue doing exactly what we had done in the first quarter throughout the entire game. And so, you know, it's, it's that importance to be able to maintain our performance throughout. And so that, you know, if, if I'm trying to make it short and sweet for them, that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. What do you think is one of the traps when even describing uh, that situation of being great in the fourth quarter that coaches fall into. Cause I like, when I hear that, I think to like sport coaches, like we're, we're conditioning the heck out of you right now. Cause fourth quarter, we're going to be great. Which obviously like us in the world of speed are like that. Well, that's not exactly what we're saying. So, <laughs> so what, what do you think is like that separating piece a little bit on yeah. the actual training side that's different than just conditioning the heck out of guys? Well, and it, and it's, that idea right there. It's, it's not this, you know, the problem is a, a lot of sport coaches, not all, there are some great sport coaches out there. However, there are, are quite a few sport coaches that this becomes their, what we will term quote unquote, their mental toughness training. It's like, how hard can I make it? How grueling can I make it? You know, and then it becomes just a survival of the fittest or, you know, basically a, who can endure longer. It has nothing to do with who's actually stronger, faster, more explosive. It's just who's willing to put up with it for the longest and do sub maximal work for the longest. So, 
you know, when, when we talk about how we actually implement this, it is, you know, maximum velocity runs over, you know, a period of time with significant rest in between. And, and luckily I've had a number of sport coaches that uh, have really bought into our program and they were all for it and they were willing to test it and try it and see what happened. Um, and we've always had great results. So it's this idea of, you know, whatever we set the distance or the time that we're running, but always giving, uh, you know, three, four, five X that of recovery. You know, I'll never forget. There were a couple of years ago that I was working in Indianapolis and, and I had a, a coach on my staff who was a former football player, um, he was working with basketball at the time. He had been in a couple of universities. He had just come into the private setting. And so we started having this conversation and he said, you know, if you're doing maximum velocity work, what's your work to rest ratio? Like one to two, one to one. And, uh, you know, he, he, and, and I know where he was coming from. Like that's his typical conditioning work to rest. Yeah. Like that's what he thinks of when he goes into football workouts or based on his own experience. Um, and I told him cause, cause he was asking in context of the track club that I had up there. And I told him, I was like, honestly, we might run a 300 and then just talk for 10 minutes. Like, you know, they, it, it's not, yeah. it's not a, okay. 345 seconds. You have 45 seconds off. No way. You know, that, that would be, um, that that's never going to happen. And so, you know, it's, it's really even helping the, the coaches and individuals in our space understand that this isn't like a normal conditioning or, or circuit type training. This is very, very different. We're talking about maximum velocity, maximum intent. And so you can't compare this to like the 30 on 30 off kettlebell swing circuit that you're doing for five or 10 minutes. You know, this is very, very different. And so, you know, it, it really comes down to, you know, going max effort on those runs or, or whatever we're doing, uh, giving them uh, optimal rest and then increasing the reps for it. You know, so one thing that, you know, Steve, I know you and I both talk about uh, one of the tools that we use uh, fly tens, fly thirties in our mm -hmm. facility. You know, when we get to, the second half of our track season before we get to our championship phase, it's not uncommon for some of our athletes to do six, eight, 10, or 12 fly tens on a day, you know, and we're always going to take two to three minutes rest in between. And so you can imagine if we're doing 12 fly tens with two minutes rest, it takes us about 30 seconds to get down, get back. We might spend 35 minutes doing fly tens, you know, and that, that just, that's very hard for some coaches to wrap their mind around is, you're going to spend a significant portion of your, your workout, your practice, and your total volume on the day is going to be less than 300, 400 meters of work. Um, and so in that, that's just part of it. But again, it, it's not about how much work can we get in. It's about the quality of the work that we're putting in. Yeah, I think that's the quality piece. I think is what we see a lot in our facility because we use our laser timing on everything. You know, we time, it's not always that we're looking for PRs, but we're just collecting data from our athletes. And I had the basketball guys in recently, and we were just getting some early off-season times. Uh, their coach has been really excited about, like, let's, let's try to make this the best athletic team we ever have. We've never been able to do that. And so we got some times. And what I would say is, like, after their first run of what would be a fly time with a five-yard lead-in, we call it a 515. Um, but – I'd say, all right, how long do you think you're going to rest? And like, I'm good to go. Like they just walked back and I'm like, all right, we'll go ahead and run. And so I let them run when they wanted to. And it just, the times got worse every single time. 
Yeah. I was like, fellas, I was like, you gotta, we actually have to recover. I was like, you know how much time you actually probably need? And they would throw like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. I was like, maybe like 45 on the low end for this. I'll go a minute or more. And then I kind of paint the picture of like, when we have our high level track athletes, our football guys that are running sub four sevens. I was like, if I have them do this, they're huffing and puffing at the end. Some of them like to just kind of chill against the wall. Some sit down and, but then they come back and they run way faster than you do. Yeah. Like what's going on there. It's, they're just kind of thinking about like they, their output's so much higher because they are trying to go so hard. They, they can't do anything after that. Yeah. And they trust me that I'm not going to try to blow them out. So they don't need to save anything in the tank because they know four more are coming. They know that we're trying to get the best reps we can. And so when we start to train athletes more often, we start using our scale of like, are we sub 95% of our best times? Because if we're, if we're getting into this category, if we're actually getting into this middle area of like 85, 88, 90, we're a little too low, but we're not low enough that we're just doing tempo and technique work. We're actually causing nervous system fatigue. Big kind of Charlie Francis principle, Derek Hansen reiterated it this past week talking with us that we just try to stay out of that at all costs because that's where their sports take place is that 85. And yeah. so we want to make sure that we're giving them a great effort. But like Nick said, we've played with these short sprints. It's like, well, how many can they do? And when do they hit a PR or the best rep of the day? And at first it may be that they do three runs and then they fall off, but then we build up to, they do five runs and then they fall off and then they're able to get the seven runs and they fall off. You know, and it's just they're building their capacity to recover and then sprint at the same speed, recover, PR, recover. And we've had guys actually hit their best rep on their 10th sprint of the day, which is, it seems completely out of the scope of what's possible. And that's a paradigm shift from what we used to do, where it was like, let's do some heavy sleds, do three sprints, we move into the next thing. And now we would say, oh man, you didn't even get their best run of the day because we've built up the capacity that they can actually hit it later in their run. Cause they're really grooving it. And they have that, we would say speed endurance to recover, come back and still perform at that high level. Yeah. You know, and I love that example that you just gave of, you know, your non-track athletes and, and what they look like between reps and your track athletes. You know, if I look back on, on my collegiate career um, and I would encourage a lot of coaches that maybe haven't been around track and field. If you have some elite sprinters in your area, go watch them practice. It, it'll probably get on your nerves watching it, but watch how they practice. So I reflect back on, on my career and, you know, I, I was very much a, a you know, sub uh, athlete compared to some of the other athletes that, that I was competing with, you know, there, there were guys that I was running the 400 with that, um, were running 45, 46 seconds, um, continuously, uh, and to watch them in practice was incredible because you, you think that they're not focused. You think that they really don't care when really that's, how they relax. That's how they prepare themselves. And so, you know, they would run a rep and we'd have eight to 10 minutes rest in between. And you'd see them laying on the ground or goofing off or, you know, just doing all of these different things uh, that, that to some strength conditioning coaches could seem like wasting time. But really what it was is, you know, it was, it was putting themselves in a good mental space to go into the next rep. You know, they felt fresh. We felt good. We were ready to go. Um, and so, you know, it, it was 
that was definitely a mindset shift for me because coming out of high school, going into college, I was used to the working piece of it. Like you had a job to do when you got onto the track. Um, so when practice started, like you were focused, you were ready to go. Um, and not that these guys weren't, but the difference was when they stepped physically onto the track itself, they were focused and ready to go. But if they're on the infield, it, it, it's different. They're relaxed. They're, they're calm. They're, you know, having a good time. The, the greatest, you know, story that, that I use is we were, uh, this was back in 2010, we were competing in the national championships indoor in Albuquerque. And, um, we were, we had a warm up track, a warm up area, and then our competition area, and we would have to sit in this waiting room. And so we were getting ready for the four by four. We had just finished our warm up. They had moved us to this waiting area and you sit in this waiting area for 15 to 20 minutes and you can see on the screen, everything else that's going on. And so being that it's the four by four, there's, you know, six other teams, four guys per team. So we've got, you know, uh, 28 guys sitting in this space and, and everybody's sitting there and you can see them watching the screen and they're nervous and they don't, you know, they're, they're just focused and ready. And then I look around at my three teammates and they're, they're having a good time. They're goofing off. They're laughing. They start joking with the guys around them about how after we get done with our run, we're going to go out and grab this big steak meal and we're going to go to this strip club and we're, you know, we're yeah. going to do all this stuff. Um, and, you know, they, they're having a good time. We go out, we run, we end up having a great run. I think we finished second in the nation, third in the nation. And we're standing on the podium collecting our trophies. And uh, the guy on either side of us, first and fourth, you know, they're congratulating us. They're like, hey, you know, enjoy that steak. Enjoy that strip club you go out to tonight. And I'll never yeah. forget one of my teammates turned to him. He goes, oh, no, that was just a show for you guys. We go back to work tomorrow. Outdoor starts tomorrow. But like, that was it. Like, that was their mindset. Their mindset yeah. was, we're going to have a good time. We stay relaxed. Our, our nerves are low. But when we hit the track, it, it's business. And so, yeah. you know, I think that's what, what some coaches miss out on is, is when we're talking about speed endurance, when we're talking about sprinting, it doesn't all need to be this, you know, high tension, heavy work, super focused. Like, yes, when we're sprinting, absolutely. You, the intent needs to be very, very high, but when you're not sprinting, allow them to relax, allow them to come down a little bit. You know, uh, it, it, it just, it can become too exhausting to spend 15, 20, 30 minutes just in this high tense state. Yeah. I think that's awesome. You know, like that central nervous system piece to that is you're just wearing yourself out. Like if you're asking somebody to go to hundred, you got to let it come back down. Otherwise you right. can't recover by going to 88 and then going back to hundred, then 88, then back to hundred. And it's the same thing when we talk about just pure interval work is when you say like you're just conditioning or somebody says, I do high intensity interval training and it's, I do a minute on 30 seconds rest. And you're like, well, there's no way you got your heart rate back down. And then you're spiking it again. You're just right. slowly your output becomes worse and your recovery becomes worse until you just become almost this flat line where we're yeah. always, we're always searching for how high can we get that output? And then how much can we recover in that amount of time? And just for track, for sprinting, it, you just got to give them a little bit more time to really allow for that full output again. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about the X's and O's a little bit. So when yeah. we, when we start to implement this, you know, for me, 
again, when, when we're doing our speed endurance work, one of the number one tools that I'm going to fall back on are fly tens, fly thirties. Um, you know, in our facility it's fly tens cause we have the ability to have a 15, 20 meter run up our 10 yard time, and then a 10 to 15 meter deceleration. So when we begin to implement this, I'm going to start late in the off season or, or the middle of the off season with just two or three fly tents, help the athlete understand what we're doing, how we need to put our phases together, what they need to feel like as they go through, understand that rest interval, you know, for a lot of them, they're, they're going to get a little bit awkward standing around for two minutes. They don't know what to do with themselves, but allow them to get used to this type of training modality. And then each week we're going to grow with it, you know? And so we're, we're, adding more to it. Now, you and I have spoken about how we put our training weeks together um, as far as, you know, where those days are going to land. You know, the, these fly 10 days are going to land somewhere in the beginning to middle of the week for me. I'm not going to put a lot of these on the back end of the week. I want them to be fairly fresh for it. Uh, but the other thing that we need to take into account is the rest of the training load uh, that's going on. You know, and so uh, you and I talked before we, we got on the show here. One of the things that I have to take into account during track season is what the track coaches at the schools are doing. And so I rely very heavily on those track coaches to give the athletes their volume so that I can then give them their speed endurance work or I can give them their max velocity work. And so, you know, that changes as soon as our track club starts in the summer and they're not doing anything with their schools. Now I have to provide the volume and I've got to make sure that we're putting our our heavier volumes later in the week when we know the CNS is fatigued and we want to spend a little more time doing a little more tempo work. Um, but we also have to pay attention to how this all works together and, and the total training volume throughout the season. You know, we're, we're building that volume as the season goes on. Then after we get toward, you know, past the mid-season point, and we're starting to get close to the competition phase, that volume is starting to drop, you know, and, and a lot of strength conditioning coaches will understand this. Uh, but we also have to understand that, like, it's not going to be the same tough workouts that we've had all season long. You know, our, our athletes should look fresh. They should look like they're ready to go uh, as, as they're walking into practice. And so paying attention to what that total volume looks like as we go through those reps. Yeah, I think that intentionality piece behind volume is uh, what I say all the time is just volume will kill any of our athletes with anything is it's so easy to sneak in a couple extra reps that it adds up over the course of three, four training sessions. Like we're in this pure off season phase for track. We may have our track kids three times a week. And if we sneak in an extra couple reps here every day, all of a sudden the volume for the week has grown a ton over what we originally designed, you know? And I think, the better place to plan and be intentional is to say like, this is my hard cap volume wise, but you can always cut volume based on what you're seeing. Don't feel like, because I wrote, we're going to get 350 yards of total accelerations today, but the first 100 were crap. Don't say, well, we got 250 more yards of this. We better figure it out. Like you might say, Hey, you know what? Like it's not going well. I'm going to cut some volume today. But my hard cap, just based on what I know they could physically handle if they're in a great state to train, is going to be this today and this for the week. And then the next week, based on however you want to improve, whether it's you're adding 10% total volume for the week, if you're well, however you kind of like to add volume, you know, like those are some of those old standards of just like add uh, a 10% total volume, add 10% total load, what, add 10% of the distance of whatever you're doing. But that just being moderate and intentional about that, 
but then being willing to cut that volume based on what you're seeing. And then that will kind of allow you to kind of go from there. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, I, th I think we've spent enough time on, on this t concept here. I know that we could talk uh, all day about this, uh, yeah. but as, as we get into our leadership piece here, you know, again, one, one of the things that, that I want to discuss is uh, we're in the summer now or, or preparing for it. Uh, you know, our athletes, our non-summer athletes, if you're in the high school setting, our non-fall athletes are away from us. Uh, we're probably not seeing as much of them. If we're in the private facility, uh, we may not be seeing some of our athletes either due to vacation or due to competition or whatever it might be. So we've talked a lot in the past about, you know, how we lead those individuals when they are with us, you know, how, how we lead them in our daily conversation, how we lead them uh, as they're preparing for competition, as they're going through certain situations. But now, you know, and, and I think about um, there are still schools in the country that are virtual or we have students that have uh, elected to stay virtual. Um, so in these situations, how, how do we lead from a distance? How do we continue yeah. to have an impact on these individuals um, and, and aid them in a time when they may need it more than ever before? You know, they may need it more than the athletes that are actually with us on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts when that person is not physically with you every day? How, how do we step in and continue to lead them? Yeah, the, the hardest thing for, I think, coaches is that usually you have this nice plan you're in control of and you are day to day, you have your plan in place. And with the summertime, things are wild. With COVID, things are wild and everything's outside of your control. And so you do have to bring down what you think you need to do. And the one thing that's the most important piece is just being connected to your athletes. It, you just you just can't let time go by. And we talked about uh, an episode or two ago about the language of from versus for. And if your athlete starts to feel like you're always asking things from them during the summertime, when they don't have to be at things that you're organizing or because of COVID, they can't be or because of it starts to feel like they may want to avoid you because it's always about what you need from them. Like, I need you to come to this. I need you to come to that. I need you to go to that tournament. I need you to just, it just wears people out. And these young athletes, like there's been times where I've talked to kids during the summertime about like, how many coaches are telling you things that you need to be doing right now? And it's their football coach. It's their travel lacrosse coach, their high school travel lacrosse coach. It's their basketball coach, their AAU coach. It's their parents. It's potential college recruiters. It is their, you know, like there's, we're already at seven different people right there. And that might just be one athlete, right? And so for you, if, if you're one of those roles, the goal is like, what can you do for them? And just asking them like, how's everything going? Not, not how is X going? Not how is basketball how are you playing are you getting your skills work in because again that's like you're encouraging something you want from them are they doing their practice enough the first thing you gotta do is just like how are you how are you doing what what's going on throughout the week how are you feeling you know and then you start to layer in some more specific questions about how things specifically might be going in different situations how's family doing how are, there's so many things these kids are dealing with right now 
that a lot of coaches are not able to understand because they're not willing to just say like, who cares about this sport? I need to understand this athlete and I need to find out what I can do for them to help them be the best version of themselves right now. You know, and it's just that easy connection piece and it, for our athletes like in the private side, it may be a text. It may be a Instagram DM. It may be a TikTok. It might be a like Snapchat. If you're on snap, it may be, you know, like it doesn't have to be a phone call. It doesn't have to be a zoom call because I think the last thing a lot of these kids want to do is hop on a zoom with their coach and five other kids and talk through like but you may have some fun things that they do with that, you know? And I think that's, that's such a valuable component is just understanding what is their, their area that they feel really comfortable and excited to communicate through so that then you can leverage that as their way that you touch base. Like in my phone, I have like five different conversations going on on like five different platforms right now with a bunch of the kids I work with. Like one kid texts me, one's on Instagram, one's commenting on a Facebook thing. You know, like, but that's where they feel the most comfortable. So I go and lean into that to make sure that we're staying connected while baseball is going on now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the social media piece because for, for so many of them, I mean, we, we know at this point, kids don't want to talk on the phone. They don't want to talk on the phone to their friends. They definitely don't want to talk on the phone to their coaches. Um, but even text message is, is becoming less and less prevalent to them, you know, meeting them on that platform. You know, one of the things that we try to do as a coaching staff and that I love to, to try and do is find ways to highlight them, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be, well, they squatted this new weight or they ran this new time. Just, Hey, check out the work ethic of this individual. You know, we had a girl just this week, um, she has been training her tail off and uh, she's a softball player. She didn't get to have a softball season last year. She's been having a phenomenal softball season this year. The team's ranked number two in the state. They're getting ready to have a very successful tournament in a series of just unfortunate plays in her last game. She dislocated and fractured her thumb in two places. Her season's over. She's got plates in her hand. Now her, her season's done. And now she's going to lose two championship seasons, one to COVID and one to injury. She only has so many left. And so just taking the opportunity to say she's in here, she's working like we were so proud of her and proud of what she's doing. Um, and so, like, again, it doesn't have to be anything special. Maybe it's just a flashback Friday. Hey, check out someone so and so who's doing something this summer just to give them a little bit of spotlight. You know, that that's big to them. You're taking time out of your day to create something for them, highlighting them. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be a number. It can just be the fact that they're a great kid and they work really hard. Like take the time to, to give them their, their spotlight. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's extremely important. And obviously we can't do it for all of our kids. I, you know, I wish that we could, um, but, you know, try, trying to select some and, and if you're not highlighting them on social media, like you said, maybe we're just reaching out and checking in. Yeah. And one of the things that I enjoy a bunch is asking them to send me athletic things outside of what they normally do. Um, so like my football guys, uh, if they're like just working out or whatever they're doing, I'm like, Hey, if you, if you dunk, if you dunk a basketball, send me that video. And as soon as guys can dunk, 
I get my phone blown up. Even my intern who <laughs> threw down a dunk recently, like texted me the video of it immediately. Cause he knows like, that's one of the things like with me is like, I love seeing guys dunk. And so I had a kid who got a two hand dunk in a game in his first AAU game. His dad sent me the video immediately. And I, I threw that up on my social media, like ASAP, nothing yeah. special. It's in my story. I just put his name and then people, he loves it. His family loves it. His friends are engaging with it. You know, I had the same thing. One of my kids hit a home run last night. He sent me a video of it. I posted immediately. Like that's, that's the piece where I know that I've been doing a good job of creating that connection because I didn't have to go out of my way to ask. They're already sending it. But I laid that foundation beforehand to say like, Hey, even though we're not working together, like send me videos of you succeeding, send me videos of you doing athletic stuff. Like I want to just see you having fun and I want to see you competing, even though I'm not seeing you on a daily basis. And we make that an intentional piece before we part ways. It's right. never a, all right, see ya after the season. You know, it's like, I want you to be excited to share your successes with me. Cause we put in a lot of work to have you be, have to be able to tell a great story this season. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that one. How, how else have you guys, do you find like different strategies to just be connected with athletes that maybe are even out of state, what are some strategies to stay connected? You know, I, I think that obviously some of them reaching out when we're thinking about them, um, trying to pay attention to what they've got going on, whether it's athletics or, or something else in their life. You know, the other thing that we maintain is a list of, of all the birthdays that we have. And if it's someone that I haven't heard from in a while, um, you know, I'll either try and put a post up for them or I'll just text them and say, hey, how are you? How are things going? You know, at this point, our, our facility has been open five years now. You know, I've, I've got and I've been doing this for 12 years now. Um, I got a couple of pictures on my desk of, of some of the first athletes that I worked with. Uh, and one of them, she, she just got married the other day. And it's like, man, I, I cannot believe this. I can't believe that I've been doing this long enough that a girl that I worked with when she was 14 is now married with a family. And so it's just kind of unreal to me. And so just reaching out and checking in with them, you know what? I'll tell you what, one of the, one of the worst conversations or, or one of the conversations that I hate having is, um, and I had one of these last night, I, you, you run into a kid that you haven't seen either in the weight room at school or in your facility. And the first thing they feel like they have to say is coach, I'm going to come see you soon. I'm going to come into the weight room real soon. I'm going to come. And it's like, no, 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 you don't need to come see me. And you don't need to come see me just to get a workout in. How are you? How are things going? Like that's the most painful conversation for me to have is they feel like they owe you that. They feel like they have to come to you in order to be engaged and to feel like that's all that you care about from them is that they're working out. And so, you know, it, it's gut-wrenching to me every time I have one of those, but it does open up the, the opportunity for me to say, no, I'm not worried about that. Let's sit down. Let's talk for a little bit. How are your mom and your dad? How are your siblings yeah. doing? How's school going? You know, things like that. But it also motivates me to get on the front end of this and be a little more proactive with the athletes that I do have. And then when I do see them to say, hey, listen, I don't want to, I'm not worried about sports right now. How's everything else in life going? Like, what else can we catch up on right now? Yeah. Uh, similarly, I, I don't enjoy when you see an athlete and they just immediately tell you about their sport. Yeah. And you're like, no, like, I, I know you're playing. Uh, it's great that you're playing well, but 
I've talked to you a hundred times. Like there's so much more we can talk about than you just telling me about how the season's going, Yeah, you know? And that one of the things that like, when I text my athletes, maybe on a Saturday after they played on Friday, I'm just like, how'd it go? And they tell me the score. I'm like, I don't care about the score. I'm like, how do you feel like you did? Did you, right. did you have fun? Did you enjoy it last night? Was it, was it something that you felt like your hard work paid off yesterday? Like, tell me more about that. I don't, the stats part is awesome. You know, some of those guys, I know when they have a good game, they're going to be very excited to tell me that. But you don't have to, like, just throw stats at me or a win or a loss. I want it to be more than that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, the uh, the last thing that we're going to talk about today, and, and I'm excited about this, is, uh, you know, building on the concept that we've been talking about, uh, you know, we, we've talked about building a brand. We've talked about creating relationships. We've talked about um, – becoming almost like a thought leader in, in your space, your physical location. Um, you know, last week we talked about actually finding a physical space, a brick and mortar and, and opening up. So now, you know, I, I think the next thing that, that we come up against is how do we fill the space? You know, what, what do we do inside of it? What do we put inside of it? Um, and so this is something that I'm, I'm passionate about and I feel very strongly on based on, on uh, my experience with it. Uh, but, you know, Steve, what, what are some of your initial thoughts on this? Like, you know, when you, you've obviously been at TC Boost for a long time now, uh, you guys have, you, you have all kinds of equipment. You've got some yeah. great equipment. Uh, but obviously when you started there over a decade ago, you know, you didn't have that. And, and you, you guys have gone through having multiple facilities, having one facility. So, you know, kind of what are some of your thoughts on equipment, what you have around its importance um, and just how you design that initial facility? Yeah. You know, looking back on it, we now have closets and garages full of equipment we never use. (laughs) That's the first, that's the first thing. And Tommy, our owner, we'll talk about that often where it's, yeah, I got those. We tried them for a little while. I don't really like them. So that's why we don't use them anymore. And that, it, that covers so many different implements in the past 15, 20 years that came out to improve speed, you know, and we'll bring them out every now and then we'll play with them. And then we're like, yeah, no, those, those need to go back in the bucket. We're not using those again. And as I evaluate our facility and what especially COVID had us rethink it to a degree about how can we best utilize this space and minimize the amount of equipment that everyone is using? And so the ideas really were, what is the absolute minimum we need in here to train the way we believe we need to train? And I think that is the the appropriate mentality to have when you're starting a space from scratch. And that is, if I was going to start a facility tomorrow, that's exactly how I would look at that space. Number one, the thing is I would want equipment wise is just appropriate area layouts, you know, and we talked about that as far as what is the shape of it? Is it a big box? Is it an L? But I want just that appropriate space for what I think is important. And then I'm trying to minimize what is getting in the way of that space usage. You know, we, we had a net at one point in our facility that was kind of closing off the area for rental purposes, great revenue source made it super awkward training wise. So during COVID, I suggested maybe we cut the net, roll it up so that if somebody rents it, we can roll it down, but then we can keep it up the rest of the time. And it opened up the space dramatically where now we can free flow through the space. 
And it almost seems like we gained an extra 500 feet of, of square footage, you know, and that's kind of a unique thing. But I think that idea of like, what can I get away with as the bare minimum, staying true to my coaching philosophy? I don't want to say like, this is what I really believe in coaching wise, but I'm too cheap to get anything that helps me do that. But at the same time, I don't need to get the gold standard off the bat for anything that is within that philosophy. And I know Nick, you were just describing to me before we jumped on what Nick Bratton 1.0 looked like. And it was pretty raw, you know, and TC Boos has moved into this current space, but originally it was at a field with some trainers, extra genies and some bands and then moved into some sleds and then moved into rockets and then moved into the 1080. But it would have been a huge mistake, I believe, at the very first thing to just buy a $20,000 1080. That would have been a bad call. So can you describe Nick Bratton, Bratton Sports Performance 1.0, what went into that facility? Yeah. So at that point, you know, I, I had just gotten out of working with uh, the NBA, working with the Pelicans here. Um, I was working with a number of athletes here in the city. And at that point I was, you know, I was just training at the park, you know, and I did as much as I could at the local park with as many athletes as I could. And I really didn't even consider moving into a physical location until the weather impacted the amount of revenue that we could bring in every month. You know, until the rainy days and the heat and the sun and all of those other things limited how much I could bring in. You know, when I just had a couple of athletes, it was easy to reschedule if a rainstorm came up. But when I got to the point where I was training four or five hours straight, then I, I had no time to reschedule. And if a rainstorm came in, I just lost it on the day. So that's that's when I originally started looking at spaces and the first space was a 2,500 square foot facility. And the, the thing that I knew that I needed was length. I needed one linear line, you know, one, one spot that had a distance that I could sprint down. So these box areas were not going to work. Uh, the, the areas that, you know, you had either poles or columns, or maybe you had a bathroom that kind of jetted out, um, that divided everything up. I couldn't have something like that. So I found a facility, 2,500 square feet. It had 125 feet of distance. And the other positive to it was there were three units and two of the units were empty and the owner of the building was in the third. So I knew that if business went well, I would have the opportunity to move into the second space. And potentially when the owner retired, I could move into the third space. And so, you know, that was the thought behind getting into it. And then when we came in on the first day, I didn't buy anything. I just went to the local Home Depot, bought four horse stall mats, four by eight mats and threw them on the floor. So I've got 2,500 square feet. It's a concrete floor. It's concrete walls. I got five horse stall mats and then a number of kettlebells, TRX straps, bands, yoga mats, uh, medicine balls. And that's all I've got. And what I did was, uh, because again, you know, when, when I jumped into this, I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to work. I'm in a city where I don't know anybody. I don't have a network. You know, the, the individuals that I'd been working with to that point, I no longer work with anymore and they have no interest in coming in. And so, you know, it, it's like, all right, I'm not going to put myself in a bad position to, you know, bring in all the state of the art. You know, I, I'm going to make sure that 
I really focus on the experience that I give and then I'll worry about everything else. And that's one of the number one issues that I think a lot of people run into. And I'm seeing it right now all over the place, all over the country. People are opening up these brand new facilities and they have, you know, Sornex racks and play flooring. And they've gone out and bought, you know, the train heroic software and, and all of that stuff is great. I'm not, uh, I'm not speaking ill of that, but they haven't even brought in their first client yet. So, you know, you may be financing all of this stuff, but you, you better be able to pay for it at some point. And the other issue is you, you go out and you buy all this state-of-the-art stuff. In two years, it's going to be outdated. In two years, there's going to be new that comes out, whether it's software, whether it's equipment or a different training style. If you have not developed your training style, your customer service, your way of doing business, it doesn't matter how fancy the facility is. So, you know, you're going to be paying for that way after it is, you know, popular. And so it, you, you can't build your facility around equipment. You have to build it around, you know, the, the staff, the trainers, the, the philosophy that, that you're using as you're in there. So, and that's the other piece. When you're building a facility, you better have a really good idea of your, your philosophy and your training concepts. I knew when we opened up that our niche was going to be speed, you know, so we had to have a track. I, I've got a two lane track that's 125 feet and it is by far the most expensive piece of equipment that's in here. You know, like I said, it's, it's only two lanes, you know, a little longer than 40 yards. It cost me almost $10,000 to get that brought in here and put down, but it's a legitimate surface. Our track athletes can wear their spikes on it. They feel what it's supposed to feel like as they're going through their runs. So that made sense to me for anybody else. Who's not spending that amount of time doing speed work. That probably does not make sense. The other piece is, the equipment itself, you know, like I said, when we started out, we just had kettlebells, TRX straps and bands. We've added some barbells and dumbbells, but that's about it. There's no machinery outside of that. Whereas there's a gentleman uh, about 25 miles from us that his entire facility facility is machinery. And he has got some of the coolest stuff that I've ever seen. I've never seen some of the equipment that he has in there, but he has no space outside of that. You can walk from machine to machine. And he is, I mean, he is one of the most successful personal trainers down in this area that I've ever met. He has got a full book and a waiting list, you know, for, for months and months to come. But he knows what he's good at. He knows how he wanted to build his business concept. And that's why his clients go and they see him. So you need to be really, really confident in what you're doing, the service that you're going to provide, and then build the facility around that. Don't build your training concepts based on what you have access to. Yeah, I think that idea is if they build it, if you build it, they will come. Right. It's a very dangerous, dangerous mentality to have in this situation. You know, I, when you were just talking about that, trainer it makes me think of like Gunnar Peterson like from the Lakers yes. like when you look at yes. the videos of his training space there's barely room to walk between <laughs> all the equipment and legitimately it gives me anxiety because I'm like the opposite is what I like is just I want an open space where we can move and do movement patterns you know so I think what we were just talking about that that minimal equipment piece is so true for like the track based training facility. We at CC Boost have always had a Mondo track. Like that was the thing that we invested in was a full track that was a full 55 uh, yards long. We've, we've had that from the moment we moved into a facility. Things that changed 
we used to have a 50-50 split of turf and weight room in the old space. And then our new space, Nick, you've been in the newer space, but the turf I think is 80% and the weight room is 20, you know, and I probably could have made an argument that we needed less weight room space than we have right now, but it's got like understanding what is our philosophy. Cause I think if we, if we change the philosophy even more, like we've talked about, if you are not really doing heavy squat movements and you're not doing heavy bench, do you need racks or could you just have like some platform type stuff where you maybe do front squats or trap bar deadlifts. And then we do dumbbell bench press. We don't even worry about heavy barbell. So now we're eliminating these racks that each cost five grand a piece, you know, and, and that's where I think the evolution of like all this equipment we wanted to get. And then we're like, Oh wait, we don't even need this anymore. Or we didn't need that to begin with. And one of the facilities I shadowed at back when I was a really young coach, I was asking him this very same question. I said, what were, what's the equipment that you regret ever getting? This was like, I'd never even had a place yet. I just knew that that was inherently something that would happen. And he's like, I was told I needed to have a leg press, leg extension and leg curl machine. That is what got beaten down into my head. And he's like, so I bought one of each. And he's like, I think I've used it five times in the last decade. They just sit in the corner of my weight room and no one ever uses them because he changed his whole methodology. And that always kind of stuck with me as like, what can I absolutely get away with? What do I need now? So Nick, like if you were going to start, let's say maybe a little hypothetical, if you're going to start your facility tomorrow, knowing what you know now, what maybe are some of those pieces of equipment that you think are kind of like those, those foundational things that you would need saving the the cost as much as possible, what could you get away with? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think I would do it exactly like I did before. You know, it, it's those pieces of equipment that are extremely versatile that I can do a lot with. You know, I, I trained a number of division one basketball athletes with five kettlebells. That was it. And even if I didn't have the kettlebells, I'd have done just fine without those, you know? And so I would start out with a TRX strap, a couple of resistance bands, you know, maybe a half inch, a one inch and a one and a half inch super band, um, a couple of kettlebells, 10 kilos, 14 kilos, 18 kilos. Um, and really that's about it. You know, I, I can get done everything that I want to get done with just those implements right there. And, you know, again, like I said, I, I started out with those implements and a couple of the horse stall mats. The first thing that I bought was, was not a rack was not, you know, barbells and dumbbells. The first thing that I bought was turf and rubber, you know? Mm -hmm. So I put the turf and I put the rubber down and then I had a place to put the kettlebells and a place to put the, hang the TRX straps and the bands. And then later down the road, we went and we got our rig and we, and, and it was very basic, you know, it's, one of those Sornex mount to the wall. If I were to open another space right now, Sornex has those off-grid racks that they're two just separate pieces that you mount to the wall. Um, and it looks like one of those salmon ladders, you know, you just move the bar within it. I'd get that next, you know, because it's very low profile. It doesn't come very far off the wall. I can hang the bar in the top to do my pull-ups afterwards if I want, but it, it takes up very, very little space. And so, you know, that, that would be my purchase. Now, if I was going to do it, we have, um, 
a couple of uh, power blocks. And I love the power blocks because they're low profile. They didn't, they don't take up a whole lot of space. And so, you know, we, we've got something like that uh, that we can just kind of stick in the corner somewhere. So yeah, you know, if I'm starting again, I'm starting out with the kettlebells, the TRX strap and the resistance bands, just like I did before. Now, one thing that I would say is, you know, just like with everything else that we do, whether we're talking about business or whether we're talking about training or have a plan. So I have a list on my desk right here beside me of the next 15 things that I want to purchase. And I have them in the order that I want to purchase them. And so every month I look at our profit on the month. I know exactly what we need to spend and where we need to spend it. That additional money goes toward the next thing on the list. Does something need to be replaced or am I ready to purchase something within the facility? And before I purchase anything new, I talk to the entire staff about, is this something that we want? Is this something that we think that we can implement and that it would be easy to do? You know, one of the next things that we're going to purchase are rep one units so that we can start doing VBT with all of our high school athletes. And that's something that we all feel very passionately about. We've been using a push band for the last couple of years with our college athletes. We've seen some phenomenal success. We're ready to move all of our high school athletes onto it. The push band is very tedious to use. Rep one is very easy. It's cheap compared to a Tendo unit or to a gym aware or something like that. But it's something that the entire staff has talked about. We've thought about it for the last three to six months. We all still feel very firmly about it. And so, you know, it's, it's like any other goal. We know where we want to get to, where we know where we are right now. We know what the path is. And so we just slowly make our way down that path uh, and, and we take our time. You know, if I put it on the list and six months from now, we're not as passionate about buying it, we're not going to buy the thing, you know? And so I, we, we take our time. We're very methodical about this. Yeah. I think that's a, a key thing is like slow to buy is also a really important kind of mindset to have. Evaluate it, evaluate the market as far as competitors like you said, how things get outdated. Also, there's other versions that come out. Like velocity-based training is super valuable, but you don't have to go with the highest one. Where right. four, four years ago, there were maybe only two options. Yeah. Now there's numbers of options all over the place. And we actually were just talking off air about the 1080 that I've seen versions of 1080 now that are coming out where it was the only option for five years. Right. You know, and that was not a fast purchase by TC Boost. That was a, we've not purchased a quest, uh, any equipment in like four years. Right. Because we've been like thinking about what are these major speed ones we want to try and invest in. And that right. was a, uh, a tough one. But conveniently on the other side of it, Northwestern had uh, done their new weight room. And so we were able to purchase some of their old equipment to be the art equipment. You know, I think yeah. that's also a piece too, as a, an opening business owner is it doesn't always have to be brand new, be creative about some of that stuff. Cause we were able to get two Alenco barbells. I think a couple thousand pounds of bumper plates, a pitch shark, uh, a couple other barbells for like $4,000. Yes. And that is a great example because I've, I've had two situations like that. When I first opened up, there was a client who had a shipping container full of equipment. He didn't know what was in it. He gave me the entire shipping container for a thousand dollars. Now there was some equipment in there that we couldn't do anything with. There was, there was some equipment in there that was so rusted we couldn't use, but there were also some great pieces in there. You know, we got a whole dumbbell set out of there. We got a chest supported row out of there. 
Um, now is a great time. You know, I, I hate to take advantage of other people's, you know, uh, misfortunes, but with COVID, we've had five or six gyms go out of business in our area in the last three months. And I'm buying equipment left and right from them. We've got TRX straps, we've got medicine balls, we've got padded boxes, we've got cable columns. We, you know, we, we have so much stuff. And again, it's for a thousand, two thousand dollars because their lease is up. They've got to get out and they don't need to buy a rental unit just to store all their stuff. So they're trying to get rid of it. So, you know, pay attention to what's going on around you. Even some of our clients have some home gym equipment that they haven't touched in years and they're willing to just give it to us. So, yep. you know, look, look around, see, see what's out there and, and really be creative with some of these options. Yeah. And I think that goes into just that piece of the environment you're creating. And although you love everything to be branded and brand new, just like a college weight room, it's just, it's not a cost effective way to start out your brick and mortar business. Right. And it's oftentimes is never really the solution, you know, is trying to go this full branded model. And there's a lot of clients and athletes that enjoy a little bit of that kind of grungy training it's a little kind of all these different types of things are in the facility and people kind of like that. You know, the people that love the health club feel usually go to the health club because they like all the really shiny brand new stuff. And so you kind of have that little piece that we embrace it. We embrace that we have these different things and that's part of the environment and the feel when you come in here that, you know what, this isn't the nicest stuff, but we train hard and we get results out of it. Right. You know, that's kind of a unique thing too. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Steve, uh, it, like always, it has been, uh, enjoyable to get another show done here. Um, what are some ways that individuals can reach out to you if they want to talk a little bit more about, uh, the leadership piece or speed work, or even get connected with you and come visit the facility up there? Yeah, for sure. Reach out. Number one is if you're a coach who's active on Twitter, reach on Twitter. If you're on Instagram, reach on Instagram. Like I, we talked about earlier in this episode, I'll go to wherever my, my athletes are at. And I also will go to wherever the coaches are at that want to interact. I know a lot more coaches feel comfortable on Twitter. Just send a DM. Just easy. It says, Hey coach, I heard the podcast. I'd love to connect. Like that's my favorite thing. Like, all right, I'm looking at my schedule. Let's schedule next week. Let's hop on a call. You know, it doesn't have to be too um, crazy at the start. Just send a quick message and I'm on every single platform. Just search Steve Breidenstein at Steve B. Stein is the easiest way to get with me. How about for you, Nick? You know, um, to make this easy, just um, go to the Business of Speed. You know, Business yeah. of Speed is on Instagram. It's on Twitter. Uh, send us a message on there. Um, you know, address it to either Nick or Steve, and we'll get to it, and we'll get back to you guys. But uh, like Steve was saying, just make it simple. Uh, we're here to help. We want to do what we can. Um, the reason we are where we're at is because we we pick the you know we pick people's brains and we ask their advice and we got feedback from them, and so we want to be able to do the same thing for you guys. So please feel free to reach out. Uh, we would love to get connected with you.